Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM. Fight of my life with Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver on Talk Sport. Hello there, this is Russ Williams. Spencer Oliver is with me. It is Fight of My Life on TalkSport. Over the course of the hour, we're going to be speaking to, I usually say a prominent boxing name. This is a really prominent boxing name about the defining fight of their career, the build-up, the story behind it, the aftermath, the lot. And on today's show, it's not a fighter, it's a promoter. Three years, Hagler saw Hearns in his future as far back as 1982. They were scheduled to meet, but a Hearns team injury intervened. After three long years, the war of words will be settled amidst the neon of Las Vegas, Nevada. The hype is over, and the drama begins as we await the opening bell between two great champions, marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. And we are live from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada, where Top Rank presents World Champion. It was totally antagonistic. The fighters had built up a hate for each other. War, that's what's on my mind. Finally, it's Hagler against Hearns. He jumped over a table and started heading for Hearns, and I started yelling, Stop it or you're not getting paid. But Hagler has him on the rope. Hagler working on him. Hagler relentless, but Hearns trying to box his way out. He hit Hagler with his best punch, and Hagler came right back. A tremendous motivational first round as Hearns gets hurt. Hearns got done. If I was in a shop, I would look forward to retirement. But doing what I'm doing, which is so much fun, what am I going to have more fun at? Before we hear from boxing promoter Bob Aram Spencer, what fight is Bob going to be talking to us about? Well, Russ, the fight that he chose is the fight of his life was Marvin Hagler versus Thomas Hearns, April the 15th, 1985, Caesars Palace. And this fight would turn out to be the greatest fight of all time. A three-round war, and the first round, by the way, goes down as the greatest round in boxing history. Bob is smiling, he's on Zoom, he's nearly ready to go. Just before we bring him on to the show, and I'm so looking forward to this, Spencer, how would you sum up Bob Aram's contribution to the sport of boxing? 
Well, listen, Bob Arum's been in the sport for well over 50 years. He's made some of the greatest fights. He's worked with the greatest, Muhammad Ali. done over 20 fights with Muhammad Ali. He's worked with Manny Pacquiao, Marvin Hagler, George Foreman, just to name a few. So this guy will go down as one of, if not the greatest promoter of all time. What a build-up. Bob Arum, welcome to Fight of My Life. I really appreciate you having me. And uh, just fire away on questions. Oh, we're going to do that. Before we get started with the show, and what a fight you've picked, by the way, Hagler against Hearns in Vegas, April the 15th, 1985. You're coming up 90. Would it be fair to say, Bob, that boxing has kept you young? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I was talking to somebody at a dinner. They asked me, how come I haven't retired? And I said, if I was in a shop, on an assembly line, I would look forward to retirement. But doing what I'm doing, which is so much fun, what am I going to have more fun at? You were a lawyer, and obviously legal training is very handy. What attracted you, though, to perhaps concentrate less on that and become involved in boxing? Well, you know, growing up, I was like most people where I came from, Brooklyn, I was very active in sports, but it was American baseball and basketball and to some extent American football. I had no interest in boxing. I had never, ever seen a boxing fight. It was just something that I never cared about. I do remember when I was a really, really young in the 1930s, listening on the radio on Joe Lewis fights. Other than that, I had no connection or interest with boxing. Now, segue to 1961. Jack Kennedy had just been elected president of the United States. I was a young lawyer in New York, and I was recruited by the head of the Southern District of New York to be an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. And because of my background, I became head of the tax division of that office. One day, Morgenthau called me to his office and he said, the Attorney General of the United States is coming, Bobby Kennedy, and he had information that a scoundrel lawyer who later became the mentor to Donald Trump, a guy named Roy Cohn, was promoting the first Patterson-Liston fight and was going to take the money from the fight to Sweden and pay Patterson out of a U.S. company on a deferred basis, which was not legal at the time. And on that basis, we got an order to seize all of the funds from the upcoming Patterson-Liston fight. And I was in charge of seizing the funds and handling the case. And we ended up seizing over $5 million which in 1961 was probably equivalent of 100 million today. And so I got an education in the business of boxing. At that particular point in time, I didn't know the difference between a left jab and a left hook. I mean, I knew nothing about the actual sport of boxing and the actual skills involved. In 1965, I left the U.S. Attorney's Office to go back into private practice. I met uh, the great American football player, Jim Brown, who I became friendly with. A man that brings 
Brown said that he would introduce me to Muhammad Ali because I should be Ali's lawyer and promoter. And, you know, I, I didn't think much of it until about six weeks later, Brown called me to a meeting and I met Ali and I became his lawyer and promoter. The first fight that I ever witnessed was the Ali Shavalo fight in uh, March of 1966 in Toronto, Canada. And that was the first fight that I had ever seen. So now we await the count, the decision. Judge Jamie Johnston scores Muhammad Ali 74, George Cervello 62, the winner, Muhammad Ali. When I preceded that, we had been chased out of the country because of the draft situation and Ali's statement that he wouldn't go to Vietnam to fight the Viet Cong. I got word through another acquaintance that a fellow in uh, London named Jarvis Astaire, who recently, by the way, passed away, that Jarvis and uh, Mickey Duff and uh, Harry Levine wanted to bring Ali over to London to fight uh, Henry Cooper for the title, and they had previously fought. Shake hands when the bell rings, come out boxing, and made the best man win. Brief instructions from Tommy Little, the ref. So here we go. The fight of the year, Clay from the right-hand corner against Cooper of Britain. And Clay has said, I'll beat him in five. We'll see. Cooper had caught Ali with a tremendous punch, but Ali had recovered, and a bloody Cooper. So that fight was a big attraction in London. And as I remember, it was held in the old Arsenal Stadium. The English rescued him by giving him the opportunity to fight in England. And then there was another promoter in uh, England named Jack Solomons. He had uh, Ali fought uh, Brian London. And then we went to Germany to fight Carl Mildenberger. And after the Mildenberger fight, we finally were able to come back to the United States. What was it like working with Muhammad Ali, the greatest? Well, obviously, one of the high points in my career, even though it was back then. And it was one of the great experiences being with him in my life. Bob, let's fast forward to the 80s, the fight. Marvin Hagler versus Thomas Hearns. How did that fight come about? Well, we had previously tried to put together a Hearns-Hagler fight. Hagler had been looking for a major fight. I was able to succeed in that a couple of years prior when I put him with Roberta Duran. But Hagler was looking now at that point in his career only to fight big fights. Tommy Hearns had been beaten by Ray Leonard in a sensational fight in 1981 but was a great, great fighter, probably better at middleweight than he was at welterweight. And 
Emmanuel Stewart, his manager and trainer, was a very good friend of mine and always asked me, when could I make a fight with Marvin Hagler, who I promoted, and with Tommy Hearns, who I promoted off and on. I had Tom, I promoted most of Tommy's big fights. So it was an easy fight to make. The fight came together in no time. And then because I really felt I had something special. I did something that had never been done before. The fight was scheduled for Caesar's Palace. And so I convinced the Caesar's people to loan me their private plane. It was a, a G1, which is at that point was state of the art. And I chartered another plane and I put Hagler on one and Hearns on the other. We had the initial press conference in New York. And then in less than two weeks, we visited 23 cities in the United States. So because we were going to major cities, the press picked it up. It was nicknamed after the Beatles, uh, the Magical Mystery Tour. It got huge, huge coverage. The real problem was Hagler, in order to be at his best, had to build up a hate for his opponent. So in St. Louis, Tommy got up and was speaking totally, totally, totally non-controversial. And Marvin, I don't know, got angry. And he jumped over a table and started heading for Hearns. And I started yelling, stop it or you're not getting paid, you know. From then on, it was totally antagonistic. It's a mental toughness, and uh, that's what I feel. War, that's what's on my mind. I finished hitting with one, two, three. I want to back off him just a little bit so I can hit him with four. Just back off. A man say he never fights a man twice. That's right. He's never going to fight me again because this is going to be his last fight. Come April 15 and three rounds. I would be the greatest. You've talked about some of the organised pandemonium of the tour. Both of the fighters went on and obviously you were there. With your experience, did you have a sixth sense that this fight was going to be very special? Oh, I knew it was special because they were such special fighters and both of them were so brave and wanted the victory so much. But I never, ever realised how antagonistic they were towards each other and the hate that they built towards each other. And it was something that surprised me because both of them were such great guys. I mean, you couldn't find better people than Tommy Hearns and Marvin Hack. But something happened that made it a street fight war. Hearns is best uh, defense is his offense because that's the only way that he knows how to fight. I think that this fight here will put me in the position for to make greatness. I've been feeding the faith and I've been starving the doubt. So there's no doubt in my mind that I can't win this fight or that I won't knock Thomas Hearns out. I don't see the fight going to a round. It's Fight of My Life on TalkSport. Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver in the company of Bob Arum 
on this brand new series of what is a very exciting show from episode to episode. And tonight, the fight is an unbelievable one. Marvelous Marvin Hagler against Tommy the Hitman Hearns in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace on the 15th of April, 1985. Bob Arum was the promoter. How does Bob Arum deal with fight day? Do you remember when you woke up in the morning, what you were thinking, Bob? No, I don't remember that. And I don't recall it being different from fight day on any major fight. In those days, Budweiser beer, which is a big beer in the United States, was sponsoring the fights. And they had done a pre-fight party the night before. Uh, so we all had attended that and everybody was in a good mood. Oh, and I remember I used the great middleweight Jake LaMotta, the raging bull, to go around and talk to radio and television about the fight. LaMotta was at the fight as the guest. He was working for the company. He took that occasion to get married uh, at a chapel in a hotel across the street from Caesars. So when he told me of his plan, that this was, must have been the, his ninth marriage. And when he told me, I said, that's great, Jake. I said, by the way, who's going to be your best man? So he looked at me, who's going to be my best man? There's only one. I said, who? He says, Sugar Ray Robinson. I said, Sugar Ray Robinson, your rival? Robinson with a straight overhand right with a minute and a half left to go in uh, round 13. Lamata trying to hold on. Some of the crowd yelling, stop it, but you don't do that to a champion. He has to go out fighting. Lamata misses the left hook thrown for the head of Sugar Ray. Ray with two left hands on that swollen left eye of Jake's. Another left hand. Then Jake is able to move away from the right hand, and then he falls as a falls back to the ropes, but does not go down as Robinson tags him with a straight right hand on the forehead. And Lamata seems both to come away from the rope. But he does come out, and Robinson hits him with a powerful right hand. And left up the cut, a right cross, and Lamata holds on, and they're going to stop it. Hey, he said, yeah, but he beat me three out of four times. <laughs> so Ray Robinson was the best man at Jake LaMotta's uh, wedding. Let's fast forward to the ring walks. The challenger, Thomas Hearns, makes his way to the ring in a magnificent red and gold robe. Brass bands are playing in the background. As is customary, it is the challenger who enters first into this Hackler's title. Even though Tommy has won two titles, he does not own the middleweight crown that he seeks tonight, and thus he is the first to come in. And the long wait is over, as accompanied by the entourage. The band picks up a game, and Hagler emerges, shadow boxing his way to the ring. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Bob Arum, the promoter, called it the Pete Rose of boxing. What was the atmosphere in there like at that time, Bob? The arena was 15,000 or so seats, and the weather was glorious. The fight was on April 15, and the reason I remember, it was tax day. We had to pay your taxes. So we did a promotion with the Internal Revenue Service. Everybody was in, everybody. I mean, it was really great. But what made it special, we allocated maybe five or 6,000 tickets to the casinos in Las Vegas. The rest of the tickets we sold either to people and travel agents in Detroit or in the New England area, Boston, 
and places around Boston, those being for Hagler and the ones in Detroit for Hearns. And the reason I say that is because in those days, we didn't have IRS rules where if you showed a certain amount of cash, they took your name. Those rules didn't exist then. So the people who bought tickets were bookmakers and maybe drug dealers, I don't know. But they came to Las Vegas with suitcases filled with cash. It was, I had never seen anything like it. The tables at Caesar's Palace, the blackjack tables, the minimum bet was $100. This was 1985. That was crazy. It was the biggest night that Caesar's Palace had ever had because of the people who came in for the fight. And across the street from Caesars, there was a smaller, real small place called the Barbary Coast. They had gotten the extra business from the fight. And I remember when I woke up the morning after the fight, there was a big sign on the Barbary Coast. Thank you, Caesars Palace. What a night. It was a huge night for American sport. I mean, on television, the viewers were seeing the huge flag unfurled on one of the towers of Caesars Palace. Spectacular. You had the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner being played on a trumpet. Very dramatically, I thought. And, and Caesars Palace, the whole place, was a fever pitch. Did you, for one second at this point, think, wow, I've put this on. This is amazing. And it's down to me, the promoter. No, there's always, there is, there is always other things to do. For example, the concessionaire, we had Hagler Hearns t-shirts. Everybody wanted one. The worst thing happened. They ran out of merchandise. So they had to bring trucks in to print the shirts as there was needs for more Hagler Hearns shirts. I had never, ever experienced such excitement and such a desire to be part of an event. We get into round one. And finally, it's Hagler against Hearns. The bell goes, the fight starts electrically straight away. Marvin Hagler comes out, throws a big right hand. Tommy Herm retaliates. He throws a big shot. Marvin Hagler only wants the body. He bangs Marvin. Oh, Hearns may have hurt him with a right hand. Hurt him with a right. Hearns hits him with an uppercut. Hagler, he's hurt. Hurt. Hagler is done. Hearns got inside. Hit him with a right uppercut. Marvin ties him up. Marvin Hagler is still hurt. Hagler pins Hearns on the ropes. He's working away. Hearns is throwing back as well. Hearns then tags Hagler, hurts Hagler, cuts him. That round went down in boxing history as the greatest round of boxing ever. That was an entire fight encompassed in three minutes. Nobody hit harder with his right hand than Thomas Hurts. If he hit you and connected, it was all over. And you know what? In that first round, 
He hit Hagler with a punch, his best punch. And Hagler sort of went back a little and came right back as if it hadn't hurt him. At that point, I said to myself, the fight's over because Tommy had hit Marvin with his best punch, square, square on, the famous right-hand punch, and it hadn't really devastated Hagler. But Hagler had picked up that bad cut to the head in that first round. Did you at any point then, Bob, think, wow, this could be a problem because the cut was so bad? Yeah, there was a guy sitting next to me who was a big casino customer who had placed what was then a massive bet on Hearns. And when the referee had, uh, I believe it was Richard Steele, yeah, Richard Steele, when Steele asked the doctor to look at the cut, this guy was going crazy. If the doctor had stopped the fight because of the cut, Hearns would have won, he would have won a major, major amount of money. The cut comes into the fight once again in the third round, but let's look at the second round, Bob. I mean, both of these guys, after that electric first round, really going for it. Hearns starts trying to box, doesn't he? I'm sure you remember that. Hagler trying to draw Hearns into a dogfight, and it was fascinating to watch. Hearns started boxing because Hearns was a master boxer, probably better boxer than Marvin. He had hit Hagler with his best shot, and Hagler had taken it. So what is he going to do? Keep headhunting, throwing that big punch? No, he figured he'd box the pants off. And Hearns comes out in the third round and starts that round well, boxing on the back foot. Hagler wants to draw him into a street fight. Referee Richard Steele jumps in, he stops the fight, and he takes Hagler over to the corner for the ring doctor to look at the cut. Hagler is all bloodied. The last thing in the world Hagler wants is the fight to be stopped. The doctor looks at it. Back comes Hagler with a wild left hand. Bleeding from the forehead. Luckily, it was the forehead and that wasn't going into the eyes. So the doctor let the fight continue. But if the fight had been stopped, the cut had been caused by a punch, not by a headbutt. And Hearns would have won the fight. Moments later, Bob, Marvin Hagler cracks Tommy Hearns with a big right hook and Hearns goes across the ring like a baby giraffe trying to walk is probably the best way to describe it. Another right hand. Hearns turns his back, takes another right. Hagler chases him across the ring, throws a massive left hook, just misses, but follows up with that big right hand and Tommy Hearns is gone. Hearns in deep trouble again. Hearns is down. Hearns is down in the third round and on his back and he's not going to beat the count. I don't believe. It was over as far as I was concerned. He went down. I figured he wouldn't get up for 30 seconds or so. But Hearns beat the count. He beat the count. He got up. He had such a fighting heart. But he couldn't stand on his feet. He didn't know where he was. And so Richard Steele correctly stopped the fight. Tommy Hearns tries to get up, and he... has got to stop this fight. Does he get up? He just doesn't know. He can't continue. It's Hagler, full of blood. Blood, no doubt, impeding his vision, stopping him in the third round after Hearns almost ended it on a first-round knockout. It didn't go very far, but it was a beauty. Bob, for many people, this was the greatest bout of boxing ever in the history of the sport, and they still think that today. 
How did you feel at the end of this quite awesome fight? What were you thinking as the promoter? Even though the fight only went three rounds and people got their money's worth, you can't imagine the scene in Caesar's Palace after that fight. People were so carried away with what they had seen, they couldn't stop throwing money at the tables. Everybody was so enervated by what they had seen that it was a surreal scene at Caesars after the fight. Coming up on Fights of My Life on Talk Sport. The guy I enjoyed promoting the most was Manny Pacquiao. He was such a character. I experienced while I was promoting him a man who grew so much as a person. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Marvin, you took the action to Tommy right away. You went right for his body. He looked like he stunned you momentarily with the right in the first. Did that right hurt you? No, it didn't bother me. just made me madder. Okay. I told you I was going to eat him up like Pat, man. I figured <laughs> once I get through the right hand, then it was all mine, you know, because I think the first big one, which you tried, yeah. tried to put me away out there. I think that's when I got the cut there, but I wanted to show the world I am the greatest, huh? Well, you are the greatest middleweight. There's no doubt about that. You went right for the body. Was that your plan immediately? That was the way we planned. I want to thank all my sparring partners. Especially, I want to thank God for giving me the strength and the courage and, and, every, and the confidence to go in here and to know that I, I was the one. I was the champion, but I had to fight like a challenger. This is Talk Sport, Fight of My Life. Spencer Oliver and Russ Williams with the great Bob Arum. We've been through Bob's fight of his life, Marvin Hagler against Tommy Hearns, April 1985. 
a fight known as The War at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. And the memories have been flooding back, not only for you, Bob, obviously as a promoter, but for many of our listeners who watched that fight. Maybe one or two of them were actually over there in Las Vegas. What a memorable occasion. Let me just ask you about... Marvin Hagler, obviously, um, when he retired from boxing, he moved to Milan in Italy. He passed away earlier this year at the age of 66. In your view, just how good was he, not only as a boxer, but as a human being? And what was he like as a person? Marvin Hagler was a real man. And by that I mean he was, in my whole career, the most loyal fighter that I ever promoted. I never had a worry about Marvin making a deal with somebody else. He always had my back and I had his. For example, when uh, the Leonard fight was being made, Ray's manager, the late Mike Trainer, had a beef with me. And he said that Ray wouldn't do the fight if Top Rank was promoting it. And Marvin learned about that. And he said there would be no fight unless top rank is the promoter. As a result, Trainer said, okay, let top rank pay us the amount of money. And if it's big enough, it's okay. And then top rank can do the promotion. So I had to pay Ray $11 million. And Marvin fought on a percentage out of loyalty to me. And thankfully made $19 million. He was just a marvelous person, a great guy to promote. I have such, to this day, great feelings about him. I really admired him. After that fight, you continued to make super fights. Hagler Sugar Ray, 1987. Hearn Sugar Ray 2, 1989. Holyfield Foreman, many, many more. You've promoted some of the biggest names in the sport. Hagler, Oscar De La Hoya, Manny Pacquiao. Who was the guy that you really most enjoyed promoting? Well, they're all different. They're all different. I mean, I enjoyed promoting Hagler. My greatest memories was promoting. I did 27 of Ali's fights, and I loved Ali. And to have been part of that whole Ali experience put me in the picture of real important history social history in the United States and around the world, because Ali obviously was became so much bigger than the sport of boxing. And having been with him, I experienced that. But the guy I enjoyed promoting the most was Manny Pacquiao. He was such a character. I experienced while I was promoting him, a man who grew so much as a person. I mean, he was not very well educated when I had met him. He became a congressman and then a senator in the Philippines. And it introduced me to the Filipino people. I now have tremendous admiration for them. Where would you rate Manny Pacquiao in the all-time greats? I, I don't rate the all-time greats. He was a great, great fighter. How do you compare him with Ali? How do you compare him with Hagler? How do you compare him with Sugar Ray Leonard? You can't. They were different. Everybody is different. I mean, they all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. And they never fought each other. The only sort of all-time great that uh, Pacquiao in his prime fought 
was Oscar De La Hoya. Manny won every round. It's all over. They have pulled him out. Oscar De La Hoya, surely the end of a glittering career and a famous win for Manny Pacquiao. And then they matched him with this great Brit fighter, Ricky Hatton. Oh! Is the most vicious knockout I've ever seen in boxing. I suppose, Bob, thinking about it, that um, as life goes on, you could be uh, in line for a red carpet trip to the Philippines if Manny becomes the president. Well, listen, let me tell you. If Manny becomes the president, I'm already talking to my U.S. senators in the state of Nevada to put pressure on President Biden to make me the ambassador to the Philippines. <laughs> and I would then Great stuff. The oldest ambassador in the history of the United States. I tell you what, Bob, I think you'll get the job. Listen, you've spoken about all these great fighters. Manny Pacquiao right up there is the best one for you. In terms of talent, his future could be very interesting. Of all the big fights, Bob, which one, if any, did you nearly not get over the line, that it nearly didn't happen for whatever reason? Well, let me tell you one that didn't go over the line and may never happen, and that's Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua. Because every time we're ready to do that fight, something else happened, whether it's a lawsuit, an arbitrate, which is a, leads to an arbitrator's decision, which prevented the fights from happening, or a fantastic Ukrainian fighter like Alexander Usyk. And you know something? If Joshua had beaten Usyk, then you'd probably want to put money on Deontay Wilder to beat Tyson Fury because that would have been the only way to stop that fight. Julio Cesar Chavez is an honorable man. He signed the contract with Top Rank, and he will fulfill the contract with Top Rank. Bob, how great is the atmosphere tonight? Lousy. The atmosphere stinks because there's no Brits here. It is not a sport that shows great, great talent. The guys who throw punches can't throw a punch to save their ass. You're in England, right? I am. And it's evening, right? It's 10 o'clock, yeah. What are you wearing the f-ing sunglasses Chavez is no fool. The people with him aren't fools. They know that Don King has held back the career of Julio Cesar Chavez. You need Brits to make an exciting evening of boxing. It's as simple as that. It's Talk Sport and the fight of my life. Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver were talking to Bob Arum about his career as perhaps the most successful boxing promoter that the planet has ever seen. And it just keeps going for you, Bob, doesn't it? Because you're still at the top of your game. Top rank has been a superpower within the sport of boxing for so long and still is. How have you managed to stay at the top after all these years? Well, people ask me that because... Don King, who is a big rival of mine, is inactive. And what is the difference? And the difference is, I recognize, as you get older, you have to bring more and more young people into your organization. It is impossible, impossible to keep up with all the new innovations, particularly 
in the recent ones like Instagram and YouTube and social media and the newspapers in the United States really going out of existence and people getting their information online. So if you don't do that, you are not able to adjust and really realize what's happening out there, particularly as an older person, you generally associate with people at first in your age group and maybe somewhat younger now, but you don't associate with 20 year olds, 30 year olds. And it's okay if you have grandchildren, but you don't really associate with them. So you need younger people to bring new ideas and to keep up with current trends. You mentioned Don King and you referred to him as a rival and then you also said he's inactive at the moment, which is a lovely phrase. You've obviously had to deal with Don and do promotion deals with him over the years. Would you invite him round to your house for dinner, though? Probably not, but but again, I would certainly meet him in a restaurant. Well, first of all, Bob Arum is a snake. Bob Arum is the type of man that you invite to your house, you give him gracious hospitality, you give him the honor and respect, you turn your back and he tries to go to bed with your wife. So you know what kind of guy he is. I have no longer two 90-year-olds, you know, if they still have animosity towards each other or crazy. So I don't have any animosity to Don. I don't think he has animosity to me now. We did some promotions together. And I must say that when we did promotions like... Uh, Delahoya, Trinidad, uh, Leonard Duran. He was a good partner. He let me and my company in top rank do all the organizational work and all the work. And he just went around doing what he liked to do more than anything. And that was shoot his mouth off and get in front of cameras so they would take his picture. But He was a good partner. He really was, I I must say that. Bob, boxing's in a very strange place at the moment with all these YouTuber fights and exhibitions. What do you make of boxing now compared to the days of Hagler and Hearns? Well, I think boxing is, in some places, not as popular as it was before. Throughout most of my career, boxing was up there with American football and basketball. It's not now, but it's still very, very popular. It is, I think, as a sport, much more popular in the UK than it is in the United States. Why that is, I'm not so sure. It may be because two sports in the United States, which mean nothing in the UK, have dominated the scene. And one is baseball, which was up there when all these great Ali fights and Hagler, uh, Hearns, uh, Hagler Leonard were on. But since that period, American football is by far the most popular sport and takes up all of the air. So we have a lot of work to do in the United States to bring boxing back in the minds of people to where it was. And I will say this, though, that what has really helped in the United States with boxing is when you look at who is watching 
and you look at who the fans are, it's largely two communities in the United States. One is the African-American and the second is the Hispanic. Those demographic groups are growing by leaps and bounds in the United States. And the U.S., maybe even in my lifetime, will become a minority white country. So with the expansion of those two groups, the African-Americans and the Hispanic-Americans, boxing really has a very bright future in the United States. Bob, this will be our last question, and it's one that I'm quite fascinated to know, actually. If you could change anything you've done in your career, what would it be and why? That's a hard question. Obviously, (laughs) I've made some bad decisions. If you're doing what I'm doing, you can't always be right. Let me give you an example, because it's just, I mean, probably not the worst thing that happened. When I signed the great fighter from the Ukraine, Vasily Lomachenko, I was offered to sign a contract with his buddy, Alexander Usyk. But Alexander Usyk was a cruiserweight, and I was doing most of my fights for HBO then, and they didn't feature any cruiserweights. So I passed and looked. What happened with Usyk, he became a heavyweight champion. And he's an unbelievable talent, a great, great person, funny as hell, terrific friend of mine. I got close to him through Lomachenko, but I didn't sign him. And so I missed out on his victory over Anthony Joshua to win the heavyweight championship. But you can't always be right. You can't exist in an industry like boxing for 57 years and never make a mistake. Bob, your honesty is as refreshing as ever and uh, it's been wonderful talking to you about the fight of your life, Hagler against Hearns. Uh, It was April 1985 at Las Vegas, the war. It probably turned out really even more exciting than you expected it to be. It was one of the many, many fights that you have promoted. And uh, I can tell the listeners that Spencer and I are looking at you. You're looking terrific. You sound great. We've run out of time, though. We just want to thank you so much, Bob, for being with us. I want to give my praise to to the Almighty who's allowed me to live this long and to be as productive as I still am. We're doing more fights now than we ever did before. And I'm so happy that all our major fights are going to be seen in the UK on Sky Television. Bob Aram, thank you so much from everyone here at Talk Sport, all our listeners, Spencer Oliver and me, Russ Williams, for being on Fight of My Life. And keep listening. There's another edition coming your way soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.